Butts and Guts, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring your digestive and surgical health from end to end. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Butts and Guts. I'm your host, Scott Steele, the chair of colorectal surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. And today we're going to talk a little bit about what to know about swallowing disorders. And I'm very pleased to have Dr. Allison Schneider, who's the director of GI Motility Lab and a gastroenterologist at Cleveland Clinic Florida's Western Hospital. Dr. Schneider, thanks so much for joining us on Butts and Guts. All right. Thank you very much for having me today. So we always like to start out with our guests with a little bit about yourself. Tell us where you're from, where did you train, and how did it come to the point that you're at Cleveland Clinic Florida? I am a native of Florida. I grew up in Miami, Florida. Uh, I went away to, um, after high school, went to Duke University for my undergraduate, and then I came back to Miami. I went to University of Miami for my medical school training. Uh, from there, I went to Philadelphia, where I did uh, training in internal medicine for three years, and then went on to do my GI fellowship there at Drexel University. Uh, there was, uh, at uh, my uh, fellowship program, there were many esophagologists and people that really had an interest in motility disorders, and uh, that's what I sort of got drawn to during my three years of training. Uh, I then came back to Florida, wanted to come back to my home state, and uh, I interviewed here at Cleveland Clinic in Western Florida, and I've been here now almost 14 years. Uh, and when I started here, there was not, um, uh, the motility lab was sort of in its infancy, and uh, I kind of took on the project of, of developing the lab, uh, increasing the studies that we did at, at our motility center, and it's, it's grown, and um, it's very busy today, and we do many different uh, studies to help our patients out, and help them come to a, a diagnosis or help them with treatment uh, with swallowing or disorders, uh, which is what we're going to be talking about today. And so here I am, 2021. 20, uh, well, that's fantastic. And so when we say swallowing disorders, what type of issues are we talking about? So I guess when we think about swallowing disorders, you know, the other thing, most patients will say that, you know, there's some difficulty with them to swallow food or water. Uh, the medical term we often will use is the term dysphagia, which comes from the Greek word meaning uh, disor disordered eating. Uh, I think, you know, when, when we approach a patient who says I'm having difficulty swallowing or, or, or getting food down, um, you know, as medical providers, we start to think about, well, is this really happening in their mouth or at the oral phase of when they take a food bolus? Um, is it more a little bit back further, pharyngeal phase, or is it actually the esophagus, which is that tube that connects our mouth to our stomachs and really, you know, acts as a conduit to kind of propulse the food bolus down into our stomach where digestion will, uh, you know, begin to occur. It's, you know, a condition I think we're starting to see, you know, you know, we, we also tend to break it down to motility or anatomic, you know, disorders as, as, as providers. And I think we start to see, you know, um, the, the, the symptom of, of difficulty swallowing increases with age. Um, and I think we're, we do have an older population. So I think we're starting to have this complaint more in our clinics. And I think we're starting to see an increase in some of the motility disorders that we diagnose in our clinics. So how common is this dysphagia? Depending on the etiology that you're talking about, it's still not the, like, the most common condition that we see in gastroenterology, but it is a condition that is starting to gain uh, more prevalence just because of our, our aging, um, aging population. Um, one condition that we, we are starting to see um, an increase in is, is a condition known as achalasia. Maybe we'll talk about that a little, but a motility disorder where it tends to have more 
spastic sphincters in the esophagus that prevents you know, the ability of food to pass into the esophagus. We're starting to see that, you know, I guess with uh, some neurological conditions, we're starting to see that. But I would say that, you know, dysphagia overall is still um, not a very, very common condition. So full disclaimer, I very, very rarely, I will have something I feel like I get a spasm or something that when I swallow and I feel like my entire chest is in exploded, hurts so bad. Mm-hmm. Is that dysphagia or what are the, some of the common symptoms associated with dysphagia? So, so yes, that would be, I guess, termed uh, uh, dysphagia. As far as, you know, the symptoms, I mean, we can start from the top. We can start talking about like the mouth area. Related to that area, we often say there could be choking, there could be coughing, um, maybe increased uh, secretions. Moving down a little bit further, the sensation of food sticking in the chest or the throat would be a symptom. So I guess what you're describing, um, I mean, just that, that one line, I would almost think of like a spasm in the esophagus and then and the food kind of getting stuck within the, the tube, the esophageal tube. Sometimes patients can actually have recurrent, they can aspirate, they can have pneumonias, like infections of the lungs uh, related to this. Another symptom that we would think about would be heartburn, belching, uh, like a sour taste in the mouth, water brash would be uh, another symptom. And actually making dietary changes on, on a daily basis because you know maybe certain types of foods are more difficult than others. And then a patient might you know, slowly start to make these changes to accommodate for what's easier for them to swallow. So I am a patient that experiences some of these symptoms. I get referred yeah. to you or uh, one of your um, similar uh, physicians. What can that patient experience or what can they expect to go through during that visit? And what tests do you have out there that they may have to go through in order to diagnose what's causing that dysphagia? Okay, well, I think at any time, you know, you know, they come, to, you would come to the office, I would ask you a number of questions. And that's really what we, you know, is in our history taking. And I think the history taking is very important with the evaluating difficulty swallowing. Key questions we often ask are, is this happening only to solid foods? Is it happening to solids and liquids? Because usually when we think about solid foods, we start to think maybe this is more of an, a mechanical issue, something more uh, obstructive, such as strictures or rings, webs of extra tissue that can be in the esophagus or tumor. And then um, when we think about solids and liquids, we tend to kind of go down in our minds, well, maybe this is more of a motility disorder related to the muscles and nerves that kind of uh, work at, with the esophagus to make it have its peristaltic contractions. And so as we start to think about that, you know, and we, we're looking at the key features, I mean, difficulty swallowing, we kind of consider that in a, at times an alarm feature. And we often do want to look. We have, we do what's called endoscopies. Um, we have, you know, these specialized cameras or long flexible tubes, almost like little hoses that have lights on the end. And we'll have patients come for what's called an upper endoscopy where, you know, they're little bite blocks in the mouth. We pass these cameras down past the oropharynx and we'll go down into the esophagus and we'll look at the, the lining on the esophagus, see if there's inflammation, see if there's like a stricture or narrowing, which can occur as a result of chronic acid reflux changes. You know, acid on the esophageal lumen is not wanted by the esophagus. It does that tissue does not like to get chronically inflamed, but sometimes with chronic inflammation, it can scar down a bit. And that could be a stricture. Of course, we also want to make sure there's not a mass there, you know, esophageal cancer. 
Um, so we will often do an endoscopy to kind of look for those sort of anatomic changes. Uh, another condition we, we, we look for in a lot of young patients, uh, that this is a, a condition that's kind of learned a lot about over the last few decades called eosinophilic esophagitis. It's sort of this allergic condition of the esophagus and sort of the esophagus gets sticky, like the back of the stamp and, and food can stick and, and difficulty swallowing is one of those symptoms. So we'll often look at the lining of the esophagus for changes related to that. And when we see, you know, a mass or if we see inflammation or if we see like changes of a condition like eosinophilic esophagitis, we have the abilities to biopsy to get, you know, a diagnosis for patients. So that's one test we'll do. You know, sometimes we'll just do esophagrams or video swallow studies. And these are done in our radiology departments or sometimes with our, our speech pathologists uh, that we will work with. And, uh, you know, certain types of contrast material be swallowed by a patient. Sometimes even contrast pills that, that will uh, show up on x-rays. And uh, we'll take, you know, pictures of the esophagus as the contrast is going down to kind of see if we can see any narrowings, kind of uh, see if there's a blockage or, or and or a stricture that we can uh, do those studies. And then something like, you know, I work at the motility lab here. And so when we're thinking about motility disorders, if I do an upper endoscopy, I don't necessarily, I mean, sometimes I may have a, a sense like, you know, if somebody has spasm of the esophagus, I might see a lot of contractions at the time. Or if somebody has this condition, achalasia, I mentioned earlier, maybe their esophagus appears dilated um, because of, of, of how the muscle change movements are occurring. Um, or there, I may see spasm of the sphincters. You know, the test that we often will do would be um, an esophageal motility study uh, is what we do in our motility lab. Now, with, with that test, we put a like a sensor catheter down the esophagus and it goes sort of past the upper sphincter and lower sphincter. So there are two sphincters to the esophagus and then the middle is the body. So it's just like a long tube. And we will ask patients to swallow water, sometimes applesauce and other consistencies. And we ba basically get pressure reads of, of the esophagus. Um, and to see uh, what we call this is, is a high-resolution manometry. There are 32 like sensor transducers on this on this catheter, and it kind of gives us a far clearer idea of motility patterns of the esophagus uh, to let us know if patients you know would have a major disorder of peristalsis like achalasia or maybe spasm um, versus having you know no peristalsis as at all you know sort of like a a, a, a muscle tube that doesn't move um, and, and kind of let us look for, you know, maybe some specific changes related to uh, other neuromuscular diseases that patients may have that are associated with um, difficulty swallowing. So this is a section that we like to call truth or myth. So are okay. we telling the truth or is this false? Truth or myth, dysphagia typically only occurs to people who have had a stroke. That's a myth. Now that is, you know, stroke is probably one of the most common reasons, especially when we're talking about um, neurological reasons that patients will have difficulty swallowing. But as we've been talking about, there are there are other causes. And especially like when we're thinking about in, in the, you know, world of, let's say, uh, neuromuscular, there are, you know, other conditions. We, uh, we can talk about, let's say, Parkinson's disease, uh, ALS, many other neurological conditions that may be associated with difficulty swallowing. 
And then there are the conditions that are more, again, structural, um, esophageal strictures, esophageal cancers, and tumors that can also be associated with difficulties swallowing. Truth or myth, changing a patient's diet can treat a swallowing disorder. So I would say that's a myth again. Now, there are dietary changes that help a patient to manage their symptoms, but making the dietary change will not treat the underlying condition. So kind of on this topic, is acid reflux considered a type of swallowing disorder? Well, what acid reflux does, so we have to understand the stomach has a very low pH and it has this low pH. It's very, to help us begin to break down food. It is not really supposed to enter and touch the esophageal lining much. Now, when it does, and we talk about acid reflux, a lot of it has to do with that lower sphincter at the bottom, opening and closing maybe more than it should. When acid does reach the esophagus, it will make the contractions for some patients less vigorous and weaker. Okay. So yes, symptom of a complaint might be difficulty swallowing, but um, you know, as, as far as causing a major disorder of a muscle change, I would say no, but it definitely can affect the, the you know, make a patient feel like they're having difficulty swallowing and it can cause you know, weaker contractions of the muscle. So what are some exercise therapies that can be done to help patients? Well, you know, the exercise therapies really probably apply more to those patients that have had more of the oropharyngeal uh, problems that have occurred um, related to, let's say, like stroke or other neuromuscular conditions. There are things sometimes um, what patients can do, you know, they can work with speech pathologists. They may uh, give them exercises such as like tilting the head to a strong side. Sometimes they'll, they'll work on supraglottic swallow exercises, um, which really involves these exercises between learning how to, you know, focusing on swallowing and breath holding. Sometimes they'll change body positions. Uh, exercises to work on the pharyngeal clearance can be done. But a lot of that is really, you know, with speech and swallow therapists. And, and, and I'm just mentioning a few of them. There's also some um, electrical stimulation that can be used to help patients to help them, you know, learn ways to um, improve neuromuscular stimulation. This is, again, something really done more with our speech pathologists who are experts in this area uh, as far as uh, giving patients exercises to help them improve their oropharyngeal swallowing capabilities. And I know that there is a lot of different underlying disorders, and as such, the surgical or endoscopic treatment may vary based on the disorder, but are there some general kind of groups that things fall into that you could say that are helpful to treat dysphagia? So if we're going to talk about endoscopic treatments, okay, and that was you know, related to the, the, you know, the camera that we do, what we do in our you know, gastroenterologist, this is what we can do. When we're talking about, let's say, a stricture, we have special balloons that can dilate strictures and widen the, the lumen of the tube so that food can flow through more easily. Uh, we also sometimes, um, you know, if there is a tumor in the esophagus, we have specialized uh, like stents. Like, I guess you could think like, you know, maybe people know that we put stents sometimes in the heart when there's a blockage. So for this blockage in the esophagus, we can sometimes do that. For some of the disorders where the muscles are too tight and, and for some certain uh, types of outpatchings, we have ways actually where we can almost do a surgery within the esophagus where we can cut these sphincter muscles, um, uh, what we call these uh, peroral endomyotomies. These are kind of just newer procedure we're doing for achalasia. 
Uh, and so, yes, we have a lot of endoscopic techniques uh, to help people with swallowing disorders. Now, from the surgical side, obviously, if a patient has esophageal cancer, it might be a surgical candidate to have surgical resection. And with the, the condition achalasia, the, the, the motility disorder, there are uh, well-known uh, surgical techniques, the helimyotomy that's been around for, for some time now uh, to kind of help cut that spastic muscle at the bottom of the esophagus. So the, those are just some examples of endoscopic and surgical uh, treatment approaches. Exciting stuff. And so we always like to get to know our guests a little bit better. So we're going to wind up some with them quick hitters. So for you, what's your favorite food? I'm going to go with sushi. Okay. I like it. I like it. I like it. What is your favorite sport, whether it is to watch or to play? My favorite sports to watch would probably be college football. What is the last non-medical book that you've read? The last non-medical book was... um, all the lights we cannot see. And you're going to ask me the author. You're putting me on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have our audience go ahead and Google that. And so tell us, what is one thing you enjoy about living in Florida? I love the sunsets. Um, I love having the ocean nearby and and smelling the salty water. I love fishing. Actually, it's a, a big hobby of mine and my family. So love doing that and um i like just having the outdoors uh 12 months out of the year with activities to do all the time and the hurricane so give us a final tip oh, yes. for our listeners regarding this whole idea of this motility disorder swallowing disorders what's the, what's the final take-home message that we can have for our listeners I mean, one thing I would say about motility disorders, do not, if you're having any difficulty with swallowing, from choking to coughing to you feel like food is sticking from time to time, do not ignore that symptom. I think you need to see a a healthcare provider, see a gastroenterologist to to kind of describe it to them in more detail. You know, there probably will be some evaluation. If an upper endoscopy is not conclusive, it might be a motility disorder. You might need to come to a place like Cleveland Clinic here where we have a motility center where we can help you know, uh, further the diagnosis. But difficulty swallowing should not be ignored because we really want to make sure we're not missing anything very important. And we don't want any uh, undiagnosed disease to progress further where we may have difficulty with management in the future. Fantastic words of wisdom. So for more information or to make an appointment in the Florida region, please visit clevelandclinicflorida.org slash digestive. That's clevelandclinicflorida.org slash D-I-G-E-S-T-I-V-E. And if you're closer to Ohio, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash digestive. That's clevelandclinic.org slash digestive. Finally, remember in times like these, it's important for you and your family to continue to receive medical care. And be rest assured here at the Cleveland Clinic, we're taking all the necessary precautions to sterilize our facilities and protect our patients and caregivers. Dr. Schneider, thanks so much for joining us on Butts and Guts. All right, thank you. That wraps things up here at Cleveland Clinic. Until next time, thanks for listening to Butts and Guts.